I've had a couple people say to me, why don't you write a book on this? And I said, well, maybe, maybe I will, because these four questions are, in, again, my judgment, what generally life somewhere gets located. Uh, we're either asking what, uh, is there a God? And if we get that settled, then what is this God like? Uh, because that's where people struggle. Why would it, you hear people say this all the time. Why would a good God let this happen? And all those kind of matters. The third question is, what does this God then require of me or us with, if you will, the idea of a relationship? What, what's, what is there required to have a relationship? What, is, what are some of the features of that? And then finally, what can we expect from God? And we've been talking about that or discussing that in Romans chapter 8. That's a big question. I think this one is the one that I've tried to work through in my own mind. And I will suggest to you that, that we're going to talk here in Romans 8, if you're there, with some terms and some ideas. And it made me think about, uh, as we think about what can we expect from God, and we've discussed this from the standpoint of uh, God's spirit for powerful living. We, we, we've, we've already started there. If you want to listen to that, it's recorded on the, on the website. But I thought about that. I thought, you know, when you think about things like this, when you discuss matters like this, there, there is some matter uh, of our perception. We're going to read some words in here that I want to try to take some time to work through. And I, I think about uh, perception. And here was a, a thought that came to my mind or a picture um, that our perception uh, sometimes uh, of an iceberg, not that many of us have been around them lately, but uh, perception. When I was in Alaska, we saw some icebergs. And what we knew about them was that what we saw on the surface was not all there was. There was lots more. In fact, some of the research I've done says that seven-eighths of, uh, of, of an iceberg is underwater. And so uh, that, that kind of thing of getting our perception about something correct, uh, this idea of the, of, of the spiritual life or the powerful life, I think maybe in some ways it's, we, it's gotten out of perspective or our perception of it is not quite accurate. Uh, I was thinking this, that, that, you know, this is what happened when the Titanic sank, that, you know, they saw the iceberg, but uh, uh, when they hit it, uh, there was much on the underside of the Titanic. I wrote this for many years. We thought that the Titanic sank because it hit the iceberg. Uh, uh, but there is some new research that indicates that the Titanic sank uh, because Leo Caprio had to drown to make a great movie. I mean, you know, how are you going to have a good movie if DiCaprio didn't drown, you know? Just, I, that's, that makes perfect sense to me. But, but the research that's come back on this is that our perception of why that happened is that really what uh, some of the research indicates that when they were building this boat, the Titanic, they were trying to build three of them called swift boats, three swift boats, the Brit Britannia, the Concordia, and the Titanic. Um, and what happened was they finally discovered that where... Uh, they got in a hurry that a lot of the rivets that held the plates on the ship together, you may have read about this, that there was lots of slag or less than good quality iron. And when they got in a hurry on the front part of that boat, that when it hit the, tight, when it hit the uh, iceberg, it started popping those rivets till it got back to the middle of the boat where the steel rivets were. And so the perspective or perception here was that it sank because it hit an iceberg. Well, I mean, it, that didn't help. You know, that all things being equal, it have been better not to have. But the, the perception is that it wasn't just that. I, I like this too. I saw this the other day about tech support. I hope you can see this. It's a little blurry. Here on the left is the picture that what my friends think I do in tech support. Okay? In the middle one is what my mom thinks I do. Some mad scientist, some, some great. Um, 
Over here on the right is what society thinks I do. On the left bottom, this is what my boss thinks I do. <laughs> Sleep all day. What I think I do, I've, I've seen, that's LeVar uh, from Star Trek who's uh, you know, managing all this. And here's what I actually do on the right. Check with Google. <laughs> check, I check with Google. That, that's, that's what I really do. But, but this idea of, of what really um, is our perspective on this. And so I want to jump in here again on this, of this powerful life. Powerful. And I don't mean like powerful, but power, full of power. And we'll read here uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, However, that whole section there that we worked through earlier, you might again just note that living the life in the Spirit is to set the mind on the Spirit, because it says, set the mind, set the mind, set the mind, and then according to the Spirit. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Let me just say one thing right here the perspective, on the perception here is this. There are th churches and groups that somehow suggest that you don't get the Holy Spirit till sometime later. Right here, this suggests that the normal Christian life is what? If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're what? None of His, right? You don't belong to Him. So, so the notion that the Holy Spirit is someone or something or whatever you call it, you get later that, you know, makes life better, I guess, or whatever, is just not biblical in my estimation. We receive the Spirit, or if we don't have the Spirit, we're none of His. That's what he says there. So, verse 10, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation, or we under... Uh, we, back up. Brethren, we are un... Read it again. Brethren, I'm getting ahead of myself. Brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs. And if heirs of God, then fellow heirs with Christ Indeed, if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. So I want to look at this under these two topics or these two ideas of a powerful life. Now, I think here, as I've read through 9 to 13, I'm going to try to pull some things out here because I think our perception of some of these words or some of these terms might need a little clarification, if you will. Here we go. I want to suggest this, first of all, if this thing will work, that we live not in the flesh, not in the flesh. Notice where Paul makes this statement, for we do not live in, however, you're not in the flesh. Verse 9 there. Go back to chapter 7. This is where Paul has built his argument from. Chapter 7, where Paul makes this statement, um, 
in verses, I started verse four. Therefore, my brethren, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh. Notice that tense there. We were in the flesh. Now, um, if you read, and I'm, I'm, you know, the, I'm going to try to draw some distinctions here for a second. If you read, or you, and it's okay, it's fine. Uh, I, I use it occasionally. The NIV version of the Bible. The <laughs> uh, it's the most popular Bible in the world, by the way. Uh, it's the most popular Bible in the world. I want to I want to draw a couple of distinctions here because if you're reading that in chapter eight, uh, where it says you're no longer in the flesh, it says you're no longer controlled by the sinful nature. It's the Greek word sarx, means it is just translated. A translation of it, in my judgment, is the word flesh. Sinful nature is an interpretation. Now, all translations are at some level interpretations to make sense. I told you before, you know, when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, I have a, I know of a, of a culture that some missionaries went to for Wycliffe, or if you're in Texas, it's Wycliffe, and uh, they went and tried to translate the Bible, and they went to this island, and no kidding, now there was no indigenous grain. They didn't know what bread was. And so when Jesus, when they tried to translate, John, I'm the bread of life, they the, the indigenous food there was a yam. I'm not, I'm not making this up. And so they said, I'm the yam of life, which worked great in Hebrew. I am that I am. <laughs> you knew I was going there, didn't you? <laughs> worked great in Hebrew. <laughs> Just Elohim, Adonai. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, all, all Bibles are at some level translations to make sense. But I want to say this here. Look at verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 5. Does it say in the, and I, in the NIV here, it says, for when we were in the flesh. Yeah, controlled by the flesh. Or, yeah, this, this word here, I think we, we need some perspective here. When Paul says you're not in the flesh, what does he mean? <clears throat> now, I, I, I want to say this because in 9 to 13, there are two ways to live. One is life in the flesh. One is life in the spirit. I, I thought I'd put this on here, but you know, I... I've slept since then. I want to make this statement because I think in here, um, I think in here is an important statement. Maybe, maybe it's next. Maybe I fooled myself. Oh, no. Nope. Here we go. Here's the statement I want you to have in your notes. If I can get it back over there. Here it is. There is, read it to you. There is a way of life that leads to death. And there is a way of death that leads to life. Let's say it again. There is a way of life that leads to death. And Paul's going to say that down there in 13. It's life according to the flesh. And there is a way of death to the flesh that leads to life. That's life in the spirit. And so there's these, these distinctions here that are being made are pretty important, I think, and we ought to consider them. So when Paul says you're not living by the flesh, you're not living in the flesh. Now, I've said this before, and you can listen again to um, uh, the, the recordings on this. Um, 
I have some problems personally with the idea, and again, the thoughts and opinions of the teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community, church, its elders, or leadership. I have problems with this idea, if you will, of translating sarks as sinful nature. Uh, because I think it leads uh, to some conclusions that uh, I'd like to at least think about. Now, the word flesh, sarks, can be translated three different ways. can be translated three different ways, and it's context-sensitive. Number one is it just means being a human being. You go check that in Romans 1, 4, where it says, Jesus Christ, born according to the flesh of David. The word sarks is right there, born according to the flesh by David. He's of the Davidic line. So one way that Sarks can be translated is just a human being. No, no problem, no difficulty, no, no, nothing, nothing wrong there. Number two, it can be translated, if you will, limited. Something that's limited. Uh, we find this in John 3 when it says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's limited to this realm, to this sphere. And so other, other suggestions are there. Uh, number three... Yeah, the third re way in which we're looking at here is um, uh, uh, this idea of that life that is opposed to life in the Spirit. That life that is opposed to life in the Spirit. It's found in Ephesians 2.3, Galatians 5.19, uh, these kind of matters. So it is, uh, it is life that's living opposed to the Spirit. What's interesting is whenever you see this in the New Testament... Life according to the flesh. That's what's always translated. Or you live life according to the spirit. Uh, that word according to means within reference to. I'm going to live life with, in reference to flesh. Or I'm going to live life in reference to the spirit. So the, the life in the flesh is this life, if you will, of opposition to God. And it finds itself, it finds itself in relying upon Adam. Remember we talked about this? That it's life lived in Adam. Human power, human ability, human effort. Now I, th I thought I put this statement on here, and maybe I didn't, but uh, it's good. Here we go. See, life in the flesh or Adam is where I, uh, where you and I are the, I like the way this word turns on by Calvin Miller. When we are the soul, S-O-L-E, slash S-O-U-L, source of power in our lives. That's what the flesh is. When you and I depend on ourselves as the soul, S-O-L-E, or S-O-U-L, source of power. Does that make sense? That's this idea. How I'm living my life in reference to, according to, that's the... That's the preposition there in the Greek every time. Life according to the Spirit. I'm living in reference to, in reliance upon. Or I'm living life according to the flesh. In reference to, in dependence upon. And so I, I, I want to suggest here when Paul says that we're not, we're not in the flesh. He doesn't mean that we're not in a human body. He doesn't mean that we're not limited. He means that we are now living our life in reference to, in dependence upon the Spirit. And so these two ways of life that are being lived are be available. So I'm suggesting, not necessarily, and here's what, what I've written in my notes here to, to get a hold of this. I told Becky, I said, whoa, I did, one word's going to keep me all day. 
that this idea, I, I'm concerned about this from this standpoint. If Sark's is a sinful nature that human beings have, if it is, some people say it is, if it is, then it seems to me that the best I can hope for is some sort of divided personality, almost spiritual schizophrenia, to where there are two people living in here. And everything that I read in the New Testament suggests that I have a new nature, that I have a new heart, that I have a new spirit living in me. Ezekiel 36, 26, Jeremiah 31. Uh, th th this idea, and I, and I think, again, I'm, I want to try to work on this perspective here because I think it, it creates, if you will, uh, some difficulties for us. That, that if we have this sort of, and I'm, I'm not trying to make light of any kind of um, mental I issue of schizophrenia, but I'm saying that that is that kind of notion that I have two natures about me. When I'm suggesting, if you see this again in the Greek New Testament, it just means that we don't live according to the flesh. We can. It's possible. It's an availability there. But we don't live according to, with reference to, reliance upon as the sole source of our power according to the flesh. Are we tempted to do that? Sure. Do we have the capacity to do that? Yeah. I always tell my students this. I'm, I'm dragging a bunch of stuff up here. I'm going to get to some good stuff here in a minute. This is all theology. Except I think that, you know, Karl Barth says, the reason that we study theology is so we know how to pray. It's not just some academic exercise. But it's always been fascinating to me that I say to my students, what do you need in order to sin? What do you need in order to live according to the flesh? What do you need? Well, have some free will if that will, yeah. A choice. <laughs> yeah, that's all you got to have. So it's a choice, the ability to choose. I would tell my students that there's two choices in life, God and we, what we call, this is a deep theological point, there's God and not God. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I don't mean to just say it that way to be flippant, but to say this is what it sort of boils down to. In other words, if you have to have a sinful nature to sin, how did Adam and Eve do that? It doesn't appear anything in the Bible that they had a sinful nature from anything we can tell. God said when he created it, it was good. He actually said very good. Tov me od, it's very good what he did there. And so this idea of flesh, if I'm suggesting, is that Paul is saying, you're no longer in the flesh. You're no longer living life according to the flesh. You have a new option now. You and I have a new capacity now. It's called life in the Spirit. So that flesh is no longer the sole source of our lives anymore. Now watch how Paul kind of unpacks this. And I'm going to have to go through it quickly. But notice what it is. You're not in the flesh if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Watch this. In verse 10, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead, here's another term we have to look at, because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. This is, what has God provided for us? Life. Life. Now, let me remind you again. I don't have time to do all this. When we see the word dead, when we see the word dead in scriptures, it does not mean to cease to exist. 
When my father died a few years ago, I don't believe he ceased to exist. I think he will live somewhere forever. Death is never ceasing to exist. I told you in Luke 15, when the prodigal son comes back, his father said, this son of mine who was dead. The idea of death means inoperative and separated. So when he says here, the body's dead because of sin. In other words, sin can't bring what to our bodies? Life. Life. Sin can't bring life to our bodies even our physical existence. And so he said, your body is dead doesn't mean you're, 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 you cease to exist. It means your body cannot receive life from these matters of the flesh. But, your, but the Spirit will make you alive, bring life because of righteousness. If you have time someday, you ought to go through chapter 8 here and notice the terms that Paul uses about this life in the Spirit. It's life. It's not saved. It's not going to heaven. It's not having your sins forgiven. It's life. It's the issue of life that he keeps coming around. Notice in verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give what? Life to your bodies. That's the same word he used up earlier in verse 9. It was your, your body's dying because of sin. The spirit will bring life to your body. Now notice, I wrote in my Bible, or put right here, but if the Spirit of Him, Jesus, who, or the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will give you life. I, I circled the word He in my Bible. I thought for a lot of times when I was first growing up that I had to give myself life. Thought I had to work hard at it. Thought I had to discipline myself and that I was the source of my own life, if you will. If I prayed enough and read it right, anybody go to that church but me? Prayed enough, read enough, did enough. You could be the source of your own life. Not true. Not true. When it says here, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. What does he mean by there? He means, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm reading him correctly, he's referring to the notion that we receive life and power for living now. Our, our bodies are going to die. That's soma, that's what he's using there. Our, our bodies will die physically. We'll be separated from this world. But he's saying the Spirit is who brings life. So here's the question in this section, and you can continue to read it. But if the Spirit have raised him, he says, verse 12, So then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Now, that is not physical death. It can't be because that's a fact for everybody. Right? That, that's not physical death there. You're, but if you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Paul say, here's this life that's available to you from God. That put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, the idea of understanding that through the Spirit of God, we have power and ability to deal with those deeds of the body that constantly want to draw us or attract us and deal with us. So what's Paul saying? I think he's saying this. There are two ways to live. <laughs> There's one way that leads to death. It's life according to the flesh. And there is a way of death, death to ourself, death to our own life, that leads to life through the Spirit. And we don't have to live that way anymore. The second thing here is, if you will, does that, does that make sense? I know this is thick 
and deep, and it's, I don't have time. We you know, spend the rest of our life doing this. What I'm trying to say, though, is this, that what can we expect from God is life. And that life comes through life in the Spirit. You know, last uh, two weeks ago when I was teaching, I, we, well, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. All right. So here we go. Second of all is, is uh, what can we expect in this part is a life in the Spirit. The same thing here is the same language in this section, that we live according to the Spirit. That what this powerful life, what it's not, if you will, and what it is, it's life in the Spirit. This, this, this matter here, uh, if you will, is that this suggestion here is that we live our life depending on, relying upon, according to the Spirit. And so I, I, I thought about that. I said, I wanna, I'm trying to think, how does this work? How, how do I, when he says, if you by the Spirit are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Putting to death the deeds of the body. How does that work? How do we do that? Let me suggest two things. Number one, in your outline there, I don't have it on there, but here it is. It's, it, I, what is it how? Is there a big word in the middle? I, you know, I, I do this stuff and forget all about it. There you go. <laughs> I, I just get tied up in the text. How do we do this? How do we live according to the, to the flesh, to the spirit here and not according to the flesh? Now, I'm going to jump out of Romans here for a second to give us a little help here. Number one, walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit. I'm fascinated by this term, walk. And J.I. Packer made a, wrote a book years ago on this that I read called Keep in Step with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit means keep in step. How, you know, is this the way you want me to go? I wrote in my notes here that this life in the Spirit of walking by the Spirit, and this is found in Galatians 5, 16. You, you, you can see this. I wrote in my note, refuse to get ahead of the Spirit. Refuse to get ahead of the Spirit or refuse to walk behind the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Be willing to walk with Him. Let the Spirit, say it this way, let the Spirit set the pace. That's the word walk there, peripto. Let the Spirit set the pace. And I find that whenever I recognize who's setting the pace in this walk, it's when I'm living according to the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean I just sit around, lay around, and do nothing. You know, I can hardly ever do that. <laughs> but it does mean that I'm living a life, if I can, or, or, as I am, in dependence upon the Spirit, of letting the Spirit set the pace. Now, I, that's hard to figure out, isn't it, sometimes? You know? It's hard to know. God, do you want me to do something or wait? You know, you, you want me to go ahead or you want me to stay back? Well, welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> I, you know, I, there's no secret answer to that. Um, there's no, there's no uh, uh, special way to say I got this all figured out. But our commitment here is to walk. Let the Spirit set the pace. Let the Spirit guide the way for us to live our lives. Okay? Second one here. How? Be being filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.18. You know, the word spirit, same word for breath, pneuma. Same word. 
When you see wind or breath or spirit, same word. And Paul says right here uh, in, in Ephesians 5.18, um, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time event. For, for those of us who have a little melancholy in our temperament, I have a little bit, probably not enough. <laughs> I have a little bit of melancholy perfectionism in me. I want an experience that will fix me. So does Becky. <laughs> hey, don't be laughing. Your wife does wants that too. Don't be thinking you're the only one. Listen. Listen. This is so dangerous in the Christian life. It's not life in the spirit. I want something to fix it for me so I don't have to keep staying in step with the spirit so I can kind of just live it up the way I want to now. I don't want to have to live in daily dependence. That's what drives me nuts. Anybody with me? Who wants to get fixed today? <laughs> I do. You know, I, I just want God to fix it, fix it, fix it. Right? Why? Because I don't want to have to live according to the Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't want that. I don't want it. Paul says, be being filled. Now, I want you to do something. I want you, this is a little bit of an application. The word spirit means breath. Okay? I want you to take a breath and then hold it. Till Tuesday. <laughs> See how silly that is? You know what this is saying? Keep breathing, Cliff. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. This isn't an event. This is an existence where I, on day-to-day -day basis, keep breathing in the Spirit. On my calendar, not every day, I'll sometimes have an early meeting. But on my calendar, I, I recommend it. I just, I have to keep this in my mind. In the morning, I encourage my guys to ritualize this. There's something good about ritual. And so we're trying to ritualize our dependence upon the Spirit. And so I have on my prayer list every morning, Lord, that you would fill me with the Spirit for today. I don't think I really, I'm not sure I even have to ask. I think it's more for me to be aware. Here, here's, here's what I did the other morning. I encourage them to do this. Now, again, um, the, the only person who's going to do this is the person who's come to the end of their resources and their ability. Okay? So I want to make sure we, we're clear on this. If you think you still got the horsepower to live the Christian life, then just relax for a few minutes and we'll get back. But if you've come to the understanding, you don't have the horsepower to do this. If the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible, right? So until you get, you know, this isn't going to make much sense to you to be being filled. So here's what I did the other morning. Get up. Alarm goes off. I wake up before I get out of bed. Take my hand. Take my hand before I get out of this bed. Before my feet hit, my dad would say, hit the deck. 
take my hand. And as best I know how, I'll follow you. Lead me. That, that, that may not be the ritual you need. But most of us need to have something to help us to be reminded that we need to walk and let the Spirit set the pace. And we need to be being, breathing that filling of the Holy Spirit. Be, being filled on a regular basis. I say daily, moment by moment. To say, Lord, fill me for today. You see, the problem sometimes we're not filled is there's no room. I'm filled up with my resources or I'm filled up with my health. I'm filled up with my friendships or I'm filled up with my things. I've said to you before, I don't know how often you and I really need God or not. I'm really serious. This has to be an intentional thing of walking according to the Spirit. Because everything in our culture is going to tell you, you don't need Him. I don't need Him. When I get sick, I go to the doctor. And I'm not saying go to, don't go to the doctor. But you know what? So far, it's been nothing more than sinus infection. One of these days, it's going to be something big. You know? I mean, I'm just bracing for it. Hoping no needles are part of this treatment. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to happen, right? <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I, it's, it's helped me. Maybe it'll help you. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. You know, when I first started teaching... I thought I could convince anybody of the truth. I really did. I'm very logical, analytical, and loud. <laughs> it was a few years after teaching that I realized I can't get into a person's heart anymore than I can live on the moon. You know what that did? Brought some inadequacy into my life to say, Holy Spirit, you got to do this. I look at students sometimes in my classrooms and I think there's no way I can reach them. No way. I can't convince them. I can't argue with them. I mean, I can argue with them. I do, but that, 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 that's another story. <laughs> that's another thing. Can't argue. Have you run up to something in your life at this point? That without God, you're just not going to make it. You run up to that yet? That'll convince you. That I need to be filled. We're not filled because we're already full. We need to allow the Spirit to fill our hearts, our minds, our desires. I've used this phrase before. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's it. Being filled with the Spirit is the expulsive power. Of a new affection. This isn't try harder. This isn't discipline yourself. This is the expulsive power. Of a new affection. I read the story in the UK uh, paper. 
about a lady who was 32 years old who got pregnant and they were having their first child. And um, it wasn't long until they discovered that she had cancer. And the story says that when they found that she had cancer, they were, were not sure, if you will, what in fact could be the process. The longer the, the, longer the, the, the term, uh, pregnancy went, the more dire it became. And this lady named Emily decided that what she would do is she would do everything within her power to give birth to that child if it meant her own life. And on the day that the baby was born, the story goes, that she, the doctors actually decided to take it a little early, did a C-section because of some things that were going on in the mother's body. They took the baby, and that afternoon the mother died. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody give their life for another? Because of the expulsive power of love. The expulsive power of love to say. That little baby that I bear in my body is worth my life. That's the question here is for us, is the presence of the Spirit, the, 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 the in fellowship of the Holy Spirit, is that worth having the presence in our life? So being filled is when this expulsive power of a new affection expels or regulates or qualifies or quantifies every other emotion or desire. Uh, they used to ask John Wesley this question because he taught <clears throat> the fullness of the Spirit and, and life and all. And he had a, a phrase where they used sometimes of called coming to what he called perfect love. Uh, not perfect performance. Perfect love. Where, where you loved God with all your heart. And they asked him, when, when did that happen to the Methodists? I'm reading a new book called John Wesley and the People Called Methodists. I knew about this, but this is a fascinating thing. When he said, they said to him, so John, when... I mean, Mr. Wesley, when did they, when do people typically experience this sense of integration of, of their love for God? That, that every other desire gets, if you will, expelled or gets redirected. He said shortly before they die. Why is that? Because everything gets cleared, doesn't it? Everything gets clear. What's really Important. What I'm asking for God to do in my life, and maybe you could ask him to do it in your life, is for him to make that clear now, today, in my life today. So what about it? How do we do this? We stay in step with the Spirit, and we live our life daily filled. So I'm going to ask you, I don't have this application, or I have it here. I'm going to ask you to ritualize this somehow. How are you going on some kind of daily basis, ritualize your need to walk in the Spirit, or to be being filled with the Spirit. I know what I do. I know what some other people do. What will you do? That reminds you every day, if you will, of this need and this ability, this life that God has provided for you and me, life in the Spirit. Now, number two, we're not going to finish today, but we're going to get started here. I want to do something. It's a particular life. <clears throat> it's not only a powerful life, it's a particular life. Notice here uh, in verse uh, 14. Now, the word for uh, is there for reason to suggest that there is a connection with the previous verses. So he says this, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. We cry, Abba, Father. I don't have time to, we're going we're to pick, we're going to finish this next week. But I want to say to you, it's a particular life. It's a particular life. And this life that God provides for us is a life of being led. Look there, it says, for all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. I, it's interesting here. Uh, I'm going I'm to read you a quote here. Uh, I don't know if it's on there. I don't have any idea what's on my PowerPoint slides today. So I was off last week. I got out of rhythm. Who knows? I want to recommend a book to you, though. It makes this statement because this idea of being led. Christianity has always been more of a trust walk than a belief system. Say it again. Christianity has always been more of a trust walk than a belief system. See, faith depends on who we follow. And who we follow depends on who we love. Listen to that again. Christianity has always been more of a trust walk than a belief system. Faith depends on who we follow. And who we follow depends on who we love. This life of being led is a life of being led because we love the person who's leading us. Now listen, I know people, and you do too, that know the Bible upside, up one side and down the other. And are meaner than a rattlesnake. <laughs> and don't follow Jesus. They just like to argue. They like to make people think they're smarter than everybody else. It's not a belief system alone. It's a, it's a faith walk. For, for instance, <clears throat> here says, those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. I've said this to my students, so I'll say it to you. How would that change the way we understand Christian experience? It's not the people who prayed the prayer or signed the card or went to the altar. It's those who are being led by the Spirit of God. That's the definition here. You want to know who the children of God are? People are being led by the Spirit of God. What about, think about this. <clears throat> what if you could be led in your investing by Warren Buffett. Do you like that? Anybody like that? Anybody sign up for that? What if you could be led in Bible study by N.T. Wright? Now that's for theology geeks. Let me get it. Or Billy Graham. Yeah. What, what if you could be led in your prayer life by E.M. Bounds? What if you could be led in your leadership capacity by, ne by Nelson Mandela? Or Bill Hybels. Anybody for that? Would, would, you, would you be led like that? Would you be willing to be led by Warren Buffett? Or N.T. Wright? Or Billy Graham? Or Ian Bam? Sure, sure. Why? Because we trust them and love them. What if you and I could be led in our life by the Holy Spirit? What if you and I had enough confidence and love to the Holy Spirit to say, Lead me, guide me, direct me, help me. Now, listen, this is not easy. I'm not suggesting this is all simple. There have been so many times in my life, I, I literally remember yelling at God one time. 
because David did that, so I thought I could do it. I remember I had a decision to make, and I, and I literally said this. Hey, it's your job to tell me what to do. It's my job to do it. Do your job. <laughs> I really did. I was so frustrated. I mean, I'm serious. I thought, listen, this is, this is what we call the division of labor. I'm not taking your job. I'll do my job. You do yours. Okay? That's a division of labor. I'd just come out of UPS in a union. I knew what my job was. I wasn't a supervisor. I was trying to decide to come to teach at Mid-America. Nothing. I want to be led. Tell me. What do you want to do? I want to stay and be a pastor here. Then stay. But I want to go to Mid-America and teach. Then go. See why I got upset? <laughs> See? Frustrating, right? Come on. Now, let me, say, let me tell you why. This is just me. It may not be you. But when you get frantic about, about being led by the Holy Spirit, let me suggest to you, just, this has been my experience, maybe it didn't your, but let me just suggest, there's fear. There's fear. You're, you're, you're afraid that if you make the wrong step, you'll be in trouble. Now, I want you to read this with me. You've not received the spirit of slavery to fear. This is not a fearful life of saying, oh, I got to get it right every time. I, I, I remember, again, I think the spirit said this to me, not in words, but he said, they said, Cliff, here's your problem. What? Well, there's a long list on that one. <clears throat> here's your problem. Um, when you're doing your best to follow me, when you're doing your best to follow me, and if, if, if it doesn't work out, you're afraid I can't take care of you. I'm not big enough. And I went, ouch. He said, look, I, I mean, this wasn't, I mean, there's just this sense of, when you do your best to follow me, when you do your best to stay in step with me, if it doesn't work out, I'm still big enough to take care of you. Okay, you're not talking about robbing a bank or going to talk to somebody who needs Jesus. Those are simple. Simple. But you're afraid. And you're fearful. And that's not my spirit. Look at there. This, this, this particular life, the particular life is being led. That's what the particular life that God has provided for. Somebody that said, hey, Cliff, get your hands off of it. I'll lead you. Come on, follow me. Whew, what a relief. But you're afraid. Anybody else like you ever, you ever get paralyzed like that? Like I got to make the right decision. I got to make the right decision. If I make the wrong decision, you know, when I was coming here to teach, uh, the school is in tough financial shape. They'd already started foreclosure at the university. I make great career decisions. <laughs> I'm a very intellectual person. They're starting foreclosure on the school. We got 190 students, and we don't know if we're going to make it. And we came anyway, because Becky made me. She said, God called you to this, and you got to go. And I said, well, I'm glad he told you, because he never told me. <laughs> I never hear. And 
and I was praying and seeking and wanted to do the right thing. And, and God said, Cliff, if you're living according to the Spirit as best you understand, I'll take care of you. I'm big enough for this. You're not that big a deal, which kind of hurt my feelings. But you see, we have fear. Listen to me, listen to me. You've not received the spirit of fear. You got that? You're not going to be led into fear. Write this other verse down. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Sir. He's asking the question for recordings to, to kind of tie me up here. No. The, the question, is there, is there, no, it's a good question. Is there a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus? It's used there interchangeably there in eight. Notice here, if you will. However, you're not in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone not have the Spirit of Christ. So they're interchangeable. Yeah. That, I think that's a verse of nine back there, Stuart. Uh, well, nine and ten. That, that idea that... There, because we can't, let me say it this way, we can't break the Trinity up. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. These are all of God working in our life. So no, I don't see any distinction here. That there's something like there's a Spirit of Jesus, and there's a Spirit of the Holy Spirit, and there's a Spirit of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit of God involved in our lives. I don't know about you, but I was brought up where there was lots of fear. And that's because preachers found out a long time ago, fear motivates immediately. <laughs> preachers found that out. It doesn't motivate long, but it motivates immediately. <laughs> and Paul is saying here, this is a particular life. Now, you need to get this, Cliff. He said, this is a particular life. You're going to be led, but let me tell you where you're not going to be led. Now, let me, let me give you two things here, because the scriptures do talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. John Wesley, again, my, kind of where my heritage comes from. M made this idea. He made a distinction. We're just have to come get this next week. He made a distinction between what he called servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear is the fear of punishment. Servile fear is the fear that God's going to get me. Servile fear is the fear that, that God is mad at me. Filial fear is this. It's the fear of love. I've said before, you know, Becky has been so kind to me and loved me better than anybody else ever, even my family, because they had to deal with me a long time. So I have a fear of ever doing anything that would embarrass her, like talk like right now. <laughs> That's not part of that fear. No. <laughs> Anything that would harm her or hurt her or disappoint her. There's some fear there. It's not the, oh, I'm going to get in trouble like she's going to beat me up. It's the filial fear. I, I want to honor her. There is that sense of dread, phobeomai is the Greek word. There. The, the word of filial fear, not like, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. Oh, I want to please him. I want to honor him. I remember when my dad, before he got real sick, we didn't know he was sick. And <clears throat> one of the great 
treats of my life was for his 80th birthday, I took him to Washington, D.C. Because every time I would come back to the National Prayer Breakfast, my dad's eyes would light up when I talked about we went there and went there. And I said, you know, Dad, I want to I take you for your 80th birthday. He goes, I want to honor you. And, and I want you to know that. My mom said to me not long ago, she goes, Cliff, your dad talked about that almost every day of his life till he died. I almost didn't take that trip. I almost didn't. It was in October. I wanted to wait till the spring. I didn't want to go, but I thought, I've got to do it now. I, I, I had some concern. You can't just keep putting stuff off for 80-year-old people or 82-year-old people. This is not a life of fear. He said, you've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. In fact, you've, read the spirit, you've received the spirit of adoption. Whereby you cry, Abba, Father. Now, I'm going to have to stop there because I've got a lot of stuff here. And uh, I want to talk about this particular life. What can we expect from God? We can expect from God a life that's a very particular, very specific life. And it's the life of being led. I'll just tell you, it's here on your outline. It's where we're not being led. And it's where we are being led. Where we are being led. So how about you? Do you understand that you and I have a power full life through life in the spirit that's available? Do you understand? Do I understand that there's a particular life that I can leave this room today and know that God will lead me as I allow him? You can too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is deeper than all of us. I can't explain all of it. Uh, it is a life, though, that's available to us through faith in Jesus Christ and through coming to the awareness of our inadequacy. Our inadequacy, our need for you. We don't expect any... There's no steps or there's no, if you will, formula here. But if you could help us to humble our hearts before you, and just call out to you, Abba, Father. To strengthen us, enable us to live the life that you have for us. That you so long for us to have. And we have believed for a long time that it is available. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Continue to work in our lives wherever we are in this journey. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.